Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for every single lady in this room. I thank you for every family that's represented. Father, I thank you for every community that's represented, every marriage, Father, every school. I thank you for every single person that is here. And God, I pray that you would minister to us today. I pray that you would minister through us today. I pray that we would catch a new revelation of you that we have never had before. I pray that we would truly leave differently than when we walked in. We thank you, Father, that one encounter with you will change our lives forever, and we don't want to do this without you. And so we welcome you here. And Father, I think authority over any distraction, Father God, any mental distraction, emotional distraction, phone distraction, things going on at home. And I pray that those things would stay silent while we are here to be able to grab hold of everything that you have for us. And we love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I know Jesse announced it once. Um, a couple things. Our Conquer dates have been released. So our Conquer conference is going to be July 7th and 8th this year. We didn't want to overlap with FAIR, so it's not going to be in August. And then Stampede moved a week back, and Manassas moved a week back, so everything kind of shifted. So we are now the 7th and 8th of July. Registration will open next Conquer. So Saturday, the first Saturday in March, is when Conquer Conference registration is going to open. Today, our spring Bible studies are opening. So in the middle of your tables, there's little info packets that gives you kind of what the layout is of each of the classes. There's three classes that we're going to have, 15 people per class. So it will be first come, first serve. Um, but we're going to really maximize these topics. We are so excited. We've been praying about them. But we're going to talk about prayer, the importance of prayer. And I know my mom's heart with that study was she was talking about how if there's not praying grandmothers and there's not praying mothers, where will the praying children be? And talking about the generational blessing that comes with prayer, but living a lifestyle of prayer that isn't intentionally passing that on to the next generation, that our prayer lives matter. So it's a very, very powerful study. Ms. Paul is going to be teaching winning the war in your mind. And I know you've read all this. I'd just like to give a little bit of an, an overview. Um, and that is Craig Rochelle's study. Guys, that is a phenomenal, 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 phenomenal study. I've been through that study multiple times. It is incredible just talking about how much our thinking really does have an effect on our lives. We make like 35,000 decisions a day. That's a crazy amount of decisions, which means we have to be thinking that many thoughts and some, right? So there's thoughts, there's decisions, there's words that are coming out of our mouths, but a lot of that comes in our minds. And sometimes we can't even get control of our minds and we wonder why we have no control of our lives. So it's a very powerful study. And then I'll be teaching the fear of God the heart behind the fear of God is, I don't know that we really understand what the fear of God is. It is not being afraid of God, but living in, in awe of God, living in an honor for God in every area of our life. And I believe that there are places that we will go, that there's places available to us that we're able to deepen our relationship with God that we'll never be able to get to unless we truly understand what it means to live in the fear of God. What does that mean with my words? What does that mean in my marriage? What does that mean in my workplace? What does that mean in life with my character? character, what does that mean to truly fear and honor God? So those are the three studies. We will be back there after today. You guys get first come, first serve. It does not open online until Conquer ends here today. So no one can take your spot right now. It's not happening. You guys get the first chance at the end. And then the, today we are kicking off our three-part series for the next three months, this month, March, and April. We're doing a three-part series. It's the UFO series. My mom called it, and I was like, Mom, why? And she goes, these things are hovering. They hover over everybody's life. So that's what this is, is the, the U is unforgiveness, the F is fear. 
and the O is offense. And these are three areas that genuinely do hover over each of our lives. And when we don't recognize these and intentionally fight these, intentionally face these according to the word of God, then as deep cries unto deep, that's our relationship with God. And the problem with these three is when we talk about unforgiveness, when we talk about fear, and we talk about offense, those are deep places in our life that we don't like to go there, right? That's part of the UFO thing. You don't go there. So that's the places in our lives that we don't want to go, the places that maybe freak us out a little bit, that I would just rather ignore that area in my life. I don't want to confront unforgiveness in my life. I don't want to confront fear. I don't want to confront offense because I would have to go there and I would have to visit those places and I don't want to be there. That's uncomfortable. But I want to encourage you, just as scary as these three topics may be and just as deep and uncomfortable as these three may be, when we handle these three according to the word of God, it opens up access to God like we've never had before. It will open up a deepened relationship with God. You will see the power of God at work in your life like you've never seen. And so I want to encourage you as we go through these three, ask God. God, reveal these deep places to me. I'm ready to confront these deep places. As I've been studying, even today, we're kicking off unforgiveness. And I was, when I got the title, I went, oh no, I don't know that I want to teach that one because it is, it's that scary thing, right? And so I'm here to be real with you in this topic. And so together, really do, let's, let's ask God. God, look at these deep places in my life. Is there area, are there roots of bitterness? Are there areas of unforgiveness that maybe I'm unaware? And I can tell you just uh, across the board, if you feel like I have a difficult time accessing the presence of God, I feel like that I pray for things, pray for things, pray for things, and I never see them happen. Usually it's an indicator of a root of unforgiveness in our lives. It will block God's flow through our lives. It'll block access to the presence of God. And we're going to look at some more indicators. But our heart in this study is not to open up all these wounds, but the heart in this study is to go, we know the person that can heal those places, and we want to see every single one of you completely set free. I pray this over myself. I go, God, I want to be set free from any root of bitterness, any unforgiveness in my life, maybe that I'm even unaware of that we would be free and be able to walk in the power of God. So does that make sense a little more than just like, oh no, the scary topic of unforgiveness? It is a scary topic, but I promise the deeper we allow God to go into our lives, the deeper our relationship will be with him and you'll see his power released like never before. Guys, you will see power. You will see the relationship with God that you didn't think you could have. You will hear his voice. You'll see answer to prayer where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been missing this this whole time and it's available to us but it takes us confronting these places that the enemy would like to keep hidden in our lives. So today, unforgiveness. So here's my little subtitle that we are gonna hit over and over and over and over. So if it's the only note you'd write down and the only thing you remember from the day, that's totally fine. This is the one you wanna have. So if there's anything to write down, unforgiveness is living a life in response to what people have done to us rather than what Jesus has done for us. And I'll read it again. Unforgiveness is living a life in response to what people have done to us rather than what Jesus has done for us. Does anybody need that again? One more time? All right. Unforgiveness is living life in response to what people have done to us rather than what Jesus has done for us. We good? All right. So that, again, that's going to be the tagline of today, that if nothing else is brought out of this, 
that will speak for itself. Forgiveness is a choice. Unforgiveness is a choice. And every day we have the opportunity to live life based on what people have done to us or to live life based on what Jesus has done for us. Because there's nothing that any person has ever done to us that would disqualify us from being able to access everything that Jesus died to give us. Does that make sense? And so it is a choice. I want to start with a short story about Corrie ten Boom. And uh, Corrie ten Boom, she was in a Nazi camp during World War II. She had, she had tried to help Jews out. And so she was, she was put in a, in a Nazi concentration camp. And her dad had actually died in the camp that she was in. And her sister, she had to watch get beat repetitively. And then her sister actually ended up dying in the camp shortly before she was released which was, I mean, obviously just this huge bummer. So you can imagine the weight that she carried being put in this unfair circumstance, this unfair situation, and then getting out, but her dad being dead, her sister being dead, and she's trying to catch up with family, find out where her family even is. So the trauma that she would have experienced during this time was beyond what I could even imagine. And her quote that she says is, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. And I go, if anybody could use a quote like that, completely unfair, completely locked into a place, seeing things that no human being should ever seen, and then being brought out of that, and she was traveling and she was speaking at several different churches, several places, kind of giving an account of what she had witnessed. And at one service, she, had, she finished speaking about, she motivational speaker, but she had finished her talk, and she looked in the back and she recognized this man, and he was one of the Nazi guards. And as she recognizes him, he makes his way to the front, and she freezes, and he asks for her forgiveness. Now, put ourselves in this situation. Because again, I want us to, to know where, where we're at with this. So here's where she is. She has every right to freak out on this dude, right? Every right to not forgive. And here's how she rewrote this account. She said, my blood seemed to freeze. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could, not, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. Hey, how powerful is that when she says forgiveness is not an emotion? Forgiveness is something that I can will. Forgiveness is something beyond what I can do. And I know in this room, and I do not take this topic lightly, and I know sometimes it's maybe been preached lightly, like just forgive, like it's an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. 
Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things we will ever do. And I believe forgiveness is something that as we grow spiritually, there will be deeper levels of forgiveness that we are able to encounter, but it has to be a choice. Again, we can't forgive just when we feel like it. We can't, or we never will forgive. We can't forgive when it's easy. And sometimes that's the surface level of forgiveness that we stay. But sometimes we're taught that forgiveness is just easy. Just forgive, just forgive. You're like, right, I'll just forgive. Anybody that's ever tried that knows that it doesn't work, right? So when she's talking here about, no, I have to will myself and I'm sp- I deliberately, intentionally make this choice to forgive. That's coming from a place that is so deep within her. But it had to be from a place that God was able to do some things in her heart for her to be able to do so. Now, forgiveness is also a healing process. And sometimes that is left out of messages that just forgive. You can say, I forgive you but then there's a process to walk out because I can, I can be in my prayer closet and I can forgive someone and then run into them. And sometimes I feel like it starts all over, right? Starts all over, every hurt, every, it's like I, I, for, I never even prayed that prayer. It seems like it didn't happen. And that's the reality of forgiveness and unforgiveness and that's part of the reason I, I believe it's probably such a hard topic. But I believe as we grow spiritually, God will reveal deeper levels of unforgiveness in our life and when we respond in obedience to those areas, then we see the freedom released and the power of God released in those areas. See, when we received forgiveness, we received by faith, correct? Think about the day you received Jesus. You received by faith. When Jesus said, I forgive your sins, it was by faith. But then here's the flip side of it. Sometimes we receive forgiveness by faith, but then we try to release forgiveness in our own strength. We can't release forgiveness in our own strength. I can say it in my own strength, but with the wounds and the hurts and the depth of things that have come at us, in our own strength, we can't forgive. And so this is where forgiveness takes a deeper place where we go, I need to release forgiveness by faith. But then we hear that faith without works is dead, right? So this is where the action part comes in, is not only do I release forgiveness by faith, but now I actually have to back that up with action. And as we talk today, I want to start with a level playing field. As I was praying, I felt like I just needed to reemphasize the foundation and the level playing field of forgiveness. Because sometimes if we have a a twisted concept of maybe the forgiveness that we needed to receive, then we won't actually walk in true forgiveness that God's called us to walk in. So every single person in this room, you guys can look around the room, look at all the beautiful faces in here, right? Everybody look around, look around, see everybody. Okay, here's the thing about every single person in this room. Every single person has been wounded someplace. Every single person in this room has deep hurts that have been hell on earth to confront, that have been miserable to confront. Every person in here, all at a different level. But here's the other thing that's the same of every single person in this room. Every person has the choice to forgive. So it's an equal playing field. But then the last thing and the biggest thing to me, every single person required the same sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. Every person. And sometimes that's the reality that's overlooked because sometimes if we came from a pretty good life, sometimes when we live a pretty good life and we see the people around us, we're like, oh, I required so much less of Jesus' sacrifice than everyone else, right? And so sometimes we think that way. 
But then on the other end, sometimes we think, I required so much more of Jesus' sacrifice than everybody else. Like, there wasn't enough for me. It's not, and so we live on two ends of the spectrum. So we either live in a little bit of pride where, well, I didn't need as much of Jesus' sacrifice as the people around me. Or we live in guilt and shame that I don't know that there was enough to go around because I'm that bad. And we'll live on two sides. Both of these mindsets will affect how we forgive the people around us. Because this side of it thinks um, they should know better. I probably don't really actually have to forgive them because they should just, they should know better because that's where we're coming from, that I've lived a pretty good life. And I think that, you know, Jesus is sacrificed. Yeah, I believe I, I received salvation. He died for me, but I didn't require as much as, as everyone and they should know better. So now I'm not going to give out as much forgiveness as I probably should. And on this end of the spectrum, when we are living in a life of guilt and shame, that there wasn't enough to go around, that we don't know how to hold back forgiveness, we don't know who to forgive, who not to forgive, we just feel like we probably deserve what we have coming to us, and so there's no reason for us to offer forgiveness. Do you see the two sides? So it's not that we struggle with unforgiveness, so to speak, it's that I can't even offer forgiveness because... I deserved it. So there's two ends of the spectrum. Both will have major effects on how we approach God and have major effects on how we forgive the people around us. So I wanted to level the playing field that regardless of who you are, how peachy your life is or how awful your life is, it required the same sacrifice. And every single person in this room if you were the only person on earth, the same sacrifice would have had to take place for you to have the forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. The same sacrifice. So there's no one in here that can say there wasn't enough for me and there's no one in here that said, Jesus didn't have to die that bad because I'm a pretty good person. And I know those words wouldn't come out of our mouth, but we live that way. And that's how we treat other people because we feel like we've made this, this certain arrival and we're, we're up one. And that's so not true. And as I've been studying this, I've been so humbled going, man, the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And the coolest part is, to me, is that he had to make the choice. He had to make the choice to forgive. And I, and I had said that at the beginning, is that forgiveness is always a choice for us to make. And sometimes we don't look at every detail that took place on the cross, but Jesus died for everything that we would have to do to give us the power to be able to do it, correct? We can overcome because Jesus died. We, he had defeated the grave because he died. The crown of thorns, the stripes on his back, all of these things say something for us. But here's a statement that's often overlooked is right before he died, one of the last things that he says is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And here's what I believe about that statement and what I believe to be true about that statement is that up until that moment, the power of God was not released on earth because Jesus still had to make the choice to forgive. He had took on the sin of the world. He had took on it all. But he still had to make the choice to forgive. And when he said that, it says that then he died. And it says that's when the veil was torn. And, it, and all those amazing things happened, took place. Why? Because Jesus had to make the choice to release forgiveness in the midst of those circumstances, unfair circumstances, being falsely accused, being made fun of, being all of the things that took place, the beating, all of it that he took on our behalf, 
he still had to make the choice to forgive. So forgiveness is a powerful, powerful, powerful asset in our lives. And sometimes we're made to believe that it leaves us powerless. If I forgive, they get away with it. If I forgive, then there's no consequence. If I forgive, it's okay. None of those things are true about forgiveness. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But holding on to unforgiveness is a lie of the enemy because it will ruin your life. It is a deception of the enemy to take you out. Any bit of it. Any unforgiveness, any bitterness. And so as we jump into this, sometimes we live with the idea that, that I live in a justified unforgiveness. So I forgive people, but there's a certain level that I live in that's a justified unforgiveness. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. We forgive to the extent that we can control. So I'll forgive the things that are peaceful. When they mess up my Starbucks order, I can pretty easily forgive them of that. But those deep wounds from betrayal, from those deep wounds from heartache, I think I'll hold on to those things. See what I mean? And so then we'll, we live with this surface level where I have forgiven. I do forgive people. But as long as it's in the realm of what we can handle and the realm of what we control. But here's where usually we draw the line. And this is when I say that forgiveness will always take us deeper and deeper and deeper into ourselves and deeper and deeper and deeper into our relationship with God because our relationship with God costs us something. Forgiveness, true forgiveness will cost something because it's beyond ourselves. And so when we say we forgive, did it cost you something? Because usually we'll forgive up until the point that it cost us. If I have to reconcile, then no. <laughs> if I have to actually go to that deep, dark hole and confront it and pray for them, no. If I have to say nice things about them, nope. Draw on the line. Because we have justified unforgiveness. If you only knew what they did to me. If you only knew what I've been through. If you only knew the kind of stuff they pull behind the scenes and you would never know it because they're nice to your face. Those are the kind of things we say, right? Why are we saying those things? Because we're justifying our unforgiveness. But when we're asked about it, absolutely we've forgiven them. Because that is the holy thing to say. Send them a gift. Oh, too soon, too soon. After the lesson, we'll repeat that challenge. Faith without works is dead. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Forgiveness takes denying ourselves. Forgiveness takes denying my feelings. Forgiveness takes denying my emotions. And again, I don't want this to come across that this topic is a light topic. And I don't want anyone in here to feel like, but you don't know what I... I don't know, but you also don't know where I've been. But we all serve a God that knows exactly where we've been. And there are deep hurts and there are deep wounds in this room that we couldn't imagine that have taken place. And I promise you, if each table just shared a glimpse of your life, you'd be shocked at the wounds that are sitting across the table from you. We'd be shocked because every one of us has those battle scars and every one of us has those wounds. So this is not a light topic by any means. There are betrayals that are so deep. There are hurts that are so deep. There are things that happen as children. There is abuse. There's, there's all of that in this room that have cut so deep that it, honestly, it could have taken a toll where even to this day, 
my life is a result of what was done to me then. And I want to see you set free today. And that's why we're hitting these topics. So this is not an easy thing. When I say, deny yourself, you're like, mm. I know all of you holy people want to give me bad fingers and bad words right now. Just keep it to yourself until the end, okay? We're going to forgive together, all right? Justified unforgiveness is that forgiveness should only be a sacrifice that Jesus made for me, but doesn't cost me to give to anyone else. So when we walk in justified unforgiveness, what we're saying is I want Jesus to forgive me of everything I did and I come humbly before him, but it's not about to cost me to give to them. And so we stop here with what Jesus did for us and we don't allow it to flow through us. But see, when we received Jesus, the heart of receiving Jesus is now that I put on a new man, that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, and now the Spirit of God is alive on the inside of me so that his strength is made perfect in my weakness, that I will not be tempted beyond what I can, compare, or what I can bear, and that what God, if I'm in it, he's put it in me to get through it. And so as long as we are submitted to him, guys, we can face this stuff. We can fight these things. We can combat the unforgiveness that we have in our life. So when we are justified, the Bible tells us over and over and over that we are justified. That word means made righteous. When we are justified in Christ, it removes our right to justify unrighteous actions, regardless of the actions that are done to us. When we are justified in Christ, every person in this room, if you have received Jesus, you are justified in Christ. You have been made righteous in Christ. And because of that, it now removes the excuse that I can justify unrighteousness in my life because of what someone else did to me. Again, unforgiveness is a life lived based on what people have done to us instead of what Jesus has done for us. So here we see that very clear that I've been made righteous. I can no longer justify unforgiveness. I can no longer justify bitterness because I have been made righteous and that is an unrighteous action. And I choose to live my life responding to what Jesus did for me and not responding to what people did to me. There's a huge difference in our response there. So here's some indicators, because you may be thinking, it's all right, I've dealt with all my unforgiveness. I'm on the up and up on this one, Shelby. Pass the test this day. All right, here's some indicators that unforgiveness may still be in your life. When you hear that person's name, the one that's been swirling around in your head this whole talk so far, or all of them, when you hear that person's name, what feelings come with it? Happiness, joy, spite. <laughs> um, if you constantly rehearse the story in your mind, if we constantly rehearse what people have done to us, and that's a constant rehearsal, even though I've said I've forgiven them, but I constantly rehearse the pain and I constantly rehearse what happened and I constantly rehearse what they've done and I can't let it go. It's an indicator there's unforgiveness. If, whenever their name gets brought up, we talk about it in a holy way, like, you know, when they did that to me, we should really help them and encourage them so they don't do it to someone else. No, you're just talking about it because you can't let it go. Okay, indicator of unforgiveness. If seeing or hearing that they are so blessed right now, just rubs you the wrong way. Someone says, you should see what God's doing in their life, and you're like, mm-hmm. Indicator of unforgiveness. Are you able to pray for them with the same fervency and passion that you pray for yourself? 
if you all start suddenly praying that you die, like, don't, it's, it's not the same thing, will not have the same effect, okay? Don't do that. I know some of you are like, fine, I will pray for myself differently now. <laughs> all right, no, no, okay? If you're unable to pray for them with the same fervency and passion that you pray for yourself, when you talk, when someone else is talking about them and they're maybe building them up or lifting them up, do you undercut and go, you should be cautious around them? Watch yourself. What are we doing? We're undercutting their character. We're undercutting who they are because of an offense that we have, because of unforgiveness that we have, and now we're leading other people away from them. It's dangerous. Do we have joy when they fail? Just a little bit of, <laughs> see, it's a thing, I'm telling you. There's just a little bit of like, oh, I'll pray for you. But we have this satisfaction that took place on the inside. It's an indicator of unforgiveness. Do we keep a record of wrongs? A record of wrongs. Are we the offended bookkeeper? So we've forgiven them until the next thing happens and we're like, let's just circle back. In the last 12 years, on this day, on this day, on this day, on this day, these are all of the things that have brought us to where we are now. And since you haven't learned from this day and this day and this day and this day, this is how we've arrived here. But I thought you forgave them. Oh, indicator of unforgiveness. Indicator of unforgiveness. All right, let's look at some scripture this day. Let's go to Proverbs 17, 9. Woohoo! I know we haven't gone to a lot of scripture so far, but we got a whole lot coming up because now we're going to rapid fire. We had to lay a real sure foundation. All right, Proverbs 17.9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. He who repeats a matter separates friends. Let's look at Proverbs 24, 17. A couple pages over. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And he turn away his wrath from him. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. These don't sound like kind suggestions to me. They sound pretty much like upfront commands, right? All right. Let's go to Matthew 538. Says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go uh, one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you and do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons 
of your Father in heaven. For me, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren when only you do more than others, do you not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. All right, if any of those areas, when you're like, oh, do good to those who are so mean to me, if those cause some disgruntledness in here, it's an indicator of unforgiveness that hasn't been dealt with. And again, not a judgmental thing. These are indicators so that we can get free from them. We need indicators. If my fuel light never comes on, I'm, let's just be honest, I'm not ever going to get fuel. If the tire pressure thing or oil change, it's just not going to happen. I don't think that far ahead. Um, so it's got to indicate that something's wrong for me to do something. When that starts blowing cold air, we're going to go rewrite light the boiler for the 15th time this day so that we all stay cozy. Okay, we need an indicator to fix something. We need an indicator. Indicators are from God. So any of these areas where you're like, oh, that one hurt a little bit, write it down. Write it down. Anything throughout today, write it down. That one hurt. I can't do that. Okay? We're going to learn how to do that by the end. All right? Again, it's a process. It's a healing process. Okay, I want us to... To keep track of this last verse here, it says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want to flip over to Colossians 3.12 and see what that word perfect is really talking about. And I didn't want you to think that I wanted you to be nice to all these people that hurt you. I wanted you to know that Jesus said it, not Shelby, just so that we could remain friends. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of what? Perfection. The bond of perfection. So how do we be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect? We put on love. We put on the love that he has given to us. And we put on that same love to the people around us. In 1 John it says that love covers a multitude of sins. So we're going to put on love. The same love that Christ loves us. It says that if anyone says to me that he loves me but hates his brother, he's a liar. If anyone says to me he loves me but hates his brother, is a liar. It's a pretty bold statement. But sometimes that's how we are. God, I, I love you. I'll do anything you want me to do. Send him a gift. No, God, uh, get behind me, Satan. God, what would you have me to do? Because we don't want to go there. But what God's trying to reveal is he's not trying to cause more pain. He's trying to give us freedom so that those things are no longer controlling us. That's what forgiveness brings. It's forgiveness brings us freedom. All right, one more. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, I want to lay a foundation with these scriptures because when we talked about those indicators, some of those we feel like, oh, I don't really know if that's a thing. Now we just saw in scripture this is very much so a thing. Forgiveness is a big deal to God because forgiveness single-handedly 
When we have unforgiveness in our life, it can keep us from the presence of God. It can keep us from seeing answers to our prayers. And we're going to look at these in just a minute. It opens the door for the enemy to have an attack on our lives. It opens the door to torture. It opens the door to mind battles. It opens the door to so many things that we would never have to face if we would only forgive. And we would walk through the process of forgiveness and we would walk through the process of being healed from those places that have wounded us so deep. So the dangers of unforgiveness, it keeps us from encountering the presence of God. And I'm going to give you a scripture reference so that you guys can, can go back and study through these and look these up. But that's Matthew 7, 21. And it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And part of what that means, it says, in the last days, many will be offended. In the last days, many will be offended. And then it says, also, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. Meaning I can be offended and I don't have to forgive. But what it does is it separates us from the presence of God. And when we try to come into the presence of God and we have unforgiveness, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of God. Because forgiveness is a big thing to me. Forgiveness matters. Why? Because the very reason that he sent Jesus on our behalf is to give us forgiveness so that we can release forgiveness to the people around us. Do you guys see that forgiveness of each other wasn't possible? Before Jesus? That is a gift that we've been given and a gift that is overlooked, a gift that we don't want because I have to bring up some hurt places. I have to deal with some hurt things. But that was a gift that God gave us going, you now have access to freedom because of what Jesus did for you. Because you've received forgiveness, you can release forgiveness. But we're going to see here in a minute, the second that we stop releasing forgiveness, we stop receiving forgiveness. And it's a dangerous place. So it keeps us from encountering the presence of God. It keeps us from receiving forgiveness. And here's where I'm going to look here. Let's go to Matthew 6. 9 through 15. And this is the Lord's prayer when the disciples said to teach us to pray. And when we read through this prayer, it says, Our Father in heaven, how will it be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right here, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. That's where this gets dangerous. And this is part of the unforgiveness thing that, and I personally, when I say I by no means am preaching this because I've arrived. I am preaching this because I am walking along this with you and going deeper and deeper and deeper. When we see stories in the Bible like Paul and Silas and the prison walls fall down and they are walking out and the jailer is about to commit suicide because everyone's gone, what level of forgiveness have they had to come to in their lives to turn around and make sure he knew Jesus before they left? The dude holding them captive. What level did they have to be that? So that's when I say every indicator, when we allow God to work through these areas in our life, guys, it'll get deeper and deeper and deeper to the place that you will be shocked at the things that you're able to forgive by faith because of your relationship with God. It will shock you what is able to take place. So again, this is not a light thing at all, but when we read these scriptures, we're like, I don't, I, mm, I don't know that, that, he really meant that. These are the scriptures that we really, that could be a gray area. Did he really mean what he said there? 
But he says it over and over and over again. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you yours. That's a big deal. Forgiveness and unforgiveness is a big deal to God. It keeps us from answered prayer. Let's go to Mark eleven twenty three. 23. I can't tell you the number of conversations we've had with people and prayer that we've had with people where we're just not seeing the answers. We're not seeing the answers in finances. We're not seeing the answers in marriage. We're not seeing the answers in healing. We're just not seeing the answers in prayer. And then it's revealed that there's a root of bitterness. It's revealed that there's some unforgiveness in their heart. And the second that that's released, things change. The second that that's released, we see the power of God come into situations and you're like, oh my gosh. We've seen people that have not been able to um, receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They're not able to get their prayer language. They're not able. Is I can't access the presence of God, and it's this frustration. We can't figure out why. We can't figure out why. We pray. We find out that there's some unforgiveness. We find out that there's some bitterness. As soon as that's released, instantly, we see the power of God at work. I mean, just I can tell you story after story after story. I can tell you story after story in my own life where I go, I'm struggling in this season. I feel like God is nowhere. And apparently he's with me everywhere I go, except I can't find him. Playing Marco Polo every morning, all day, praying without ceasing the whole nine yards, and he's nowhere. As soon as I deal with some unforgiveness, as soon as I deal with some bitterness, suddenly he's everywhere again. I just apparently was wearing a blindfold. Because that's what unforgiveness does for us. Okay, it's, it's important. So Mark eleven twenty three. 23. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. All right, we pray that scripture. We're like, absolutely, I will speak to the mountain. When I say it, I believe it, I'm gonna see it, but then we keep reading. And there's a prayer blocker right here. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you yours. Prayer blocker. Prayer blocker. Why am I not seeing the answer? Is there unforgiveness? Usually our first answer is, God, there's no unforgiveness. But if you go back to these indicators... And that person that's wheeling around in your mind, if any of those indicators light up, there's some unforgiveness there that we need to allow ourselves to release. And again, not in our own strength. This is when we say, God, I recognize this. Thank you for revealing it to me. I release this person and I ask for your help. I need your help to be able to forgive. What process do I need to walk through? What do I need to do next? And he may say, send him a gift. <laughs> he may say, pray for him. You'll be like, we don't know what that means. But that step of obedience... We have no idea what that will unlock. Maybe an encouraging word to somebody that we've been tearing down. Maybe an encouraging, maybe just some time spent with somebody, maybe acknowledging their existence because we've shunned them from our lives. Any of those things, any indicator, and then let God show you what the step is for that obedience to take place. And those are scary steps. Again, I understand that. I've been there. Those are scary steps. But there is a step that will release more on your behalf than you could ever get on your own. 
And again, it's a lie of the enemy to keep unforgiveness in our heart. When we have unforgiveness rooted in our heart, it will keep us in a place short of God's blessing, short of God's answer, short of God's presence. We will not see the power of God at work in our life, and it will be a struggle, a struggle, a struggle, like we're hitting a wall every day. And all of it is because of unforgiveness. And as soon as we forgive, again, we see what God has to say, what God has to do. Unforgiveness opens the door to the enemy. You can write down for reference Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 there because we're going to see it right here in this next one. But it opens the door for the enemy. That's where it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Make no place for the devil. Give no place for the devil. When we allow unforgiveness in our heart, we open the door, guys. That's an open door for the enemy to wreak havoc in our minds, to wreak havoc in relationships. We're, like, we're spinning out of control and we can't figure out what happens. Some unforgiveness opened the door for the enemy to be at work in our lives. And you'll see it's devastating. So this next scripture, it opens the door to torture. And this word torture means agony of the mind in the body. And if we've had some wounds, if we've had some hurts, Every single one of us, anybody that's experienced anything like that, you know that there's some deep agony. There's some battles we have in our mind, maybe panic attacks, maybe severe anxiety, depression, worry, fear. All of those things can be a result of these deep wounds, these traumas that we faced. You could be having flashbacks. You could have night terrors. And then you feel like, I just, I can't get healthy. I seem to be sick all the time. I can't get on top of my immune system. I can't get on top. And it's just this struggle. There's a root of unforgiveness. And it doesn't seem fair because you go, well, they're the ones that did it. Why am I dealing with this? As I had panic attacks, I had two years. I don't remember how much I slept during the day because that's the only time bad things didn't happen. Because it was constant anxiety, constant panic attacks that I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I, it was stressed. It, I couldn't think straight. It was a struggle all because of a trauma, and I was holding on to unforgiveness that I thought I had forgiven. That was the thing. I thought I had forgiven. And it was two years, and it never, ever went away. And it was, it was constant. I could have flashbacks when I was driving. I would have night terrors, um, severe panic attacks, severe anxiety. And it's a struggle that other people think is silly, unless you've been there. And you see the agony that it takes on your mind, the agony that it puts in your body, unforgiveness opens the door to this. And so that word torture is agony of the mind in the body. So that's another indicator of unforgiveness. Let's look at Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Um, if, depending on what study you do, but the 10,000 talents, if that's related to gold, the amount of tonnage that it switches over to basically that number is 14.5 million dollars in today's world if you're switching that over into gold what that actually means so basically this wasn't so much about the the number 10,000 talents 
what it's revealing here is this was a debt that by no means could be repaid. It is impossible in the lifetime of a human being to repay this debt because what it's showing and foreshadowing is what Jesus paid on our behalf. A debt that we could not, no matter what we did, that's what we gotta understand. When we go back to that level playing field, do we understand that no matter what we could have done, no matter what we could do in our own strength, no matter how good we are, we could not pay the debt Jesus paid for us? No matter what, not possible. And that's what this is showing here is this is an impossible debt to pay. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master and the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is about $4,000. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But when he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt, so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? Just as I had pity on you and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. And that's the torture word that I was talking about that is the agony of the mind and the body. Delivered him to the torturers. Um, until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And we read that story and we're like, oh man, who would do that? But I want to put a little bit of perspective here. Again, the king is representative of, of Jesus, the debt that was paid on our behalf. Okay, the debt that we have been forgiven of, that when we receive salvation, we're saying, I could not, I recognize that I could not have paid this on my own, and I receive your forgiveness by faith, but it's for the purpose of releasing forgiveness. These are all servants of the king. He wasn't talking to unbelievers. These are servants of the king, which means he was talking to the church, which means he was talking to believers. And when we look at our lives, we go, have I received the gift of forgiveness but then I'm that servant that I won't give that to the people around me. I won't give that to the people that owe me because that's really what forgiveness is, is that we're saying that your debt's been canceled. Unforgiveness is holding a debt against somebody. And when we say they owe me, they did this to me, I've got to hold them accountable for what they did. What we're saying is I'm going to hold you to that debt, but I want to be forgiven of my debt. That's what this story is revealing. And guys, it's dangerous when he says he handed him over to the torturers. That means he had removed himself from the presence and the favor of the king because he chose not to forgive. But then this is the scary part to me. He had already been forgiven his debt and then chose not to forgive and then was delivered to the torturers. That's the scary place to go how many of us have received salvation we receive the forgiveness of our sins. We've been forgiven our debt. And then we choose to hold unforgiveness. We choose to hold bitterness. And again, I know these are hard things. I know the hurts, the wounds, the, the fears, the struggles, the, the deep things that people have done to us that is not okay. But I would rather be able to say I forgive 
and be free from that and let God deal with it than me try to deal with it on my own and let it wreck my life. Because they already stole a moment. Unforgiveness will let them steal your entire life. Or we allow the moment to be stolen. See, now I give it to God and I'm gonna get my life back because that's what God wants to do. Otherwise, the torment will stay in our mind. The fear will stay in our mind. And again, as we grow in our relationship with God, there are deeper levels of forgiveness that we'll be able to walk in, and it's a healing process. This is not something that today, when you're battling with that, and there's almost this war going on inside of some of you right now, I can feel it, and you go, I, don't, I can't, I can't, I don't know how, I, don't, I can't do that. Let it be a process. And you're not supposed to be able to do it in your own strength. Those deep wounds can only be healed by God. And those are areas that we can release those to God by faith. And then we step out in obedient actions that he says, and we allow him to work through us so that we can release forgiveness. But then he does a work in us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And it makes a difference. Unforgiveness is a big deal to God. Unforgiveness will allow for physical and emotional health decline in our lives. We will live a life controlled by other people. We think that we're the ones in control because I know what they did and I'm holding, I'm holding their record. And we think that we're in control. But really our lives are 100% controlled by what happened. And so it's a, a deception from the enemy and it will lead to our own demise. I'll quickly paraphrase the story of Absalom. And guys, if you read throughout the, the Bible, there are several different stories that hit every single place that we could have. When you read even just Joseph, there's the betrayal from his family, the closest people to him. And he was sold, and then he's falsely accused, and then he's forgotten about in prison, and the entire situation is completely unfair. And then we see the reconciliation at the end, and he has a choice to make. But what happened, this story, this story, this story, that deep place of forgiveness that he had to come to in his life, and so if there's betrayal that you've walked through, if there's deep pain, if you've been falsely accused, if your name has been drugged through the mud and you had nothing to do with it, if you never got to tell your side of the story, that one just bothers you. Or you're holding out because I, if they would just apologize, if they would just admit they were wrong, I could forgive. Might not ever happen. And here's why I know that, and here's why I know we have the power to forgive anyway. Because the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Jesus forgave. While we were still sinners, Jesus died. While we were still sinners, that's when he sacrificed for us. Before we said sorry, we've, like what if Jesus said, well, when they admit that they're wrong, I'll die. He would not have died yet because some of us still think we're right. <laughs> it's a thing. But we have a God that said, no, I don't have to wait for that because I live in obedience to my God. I don't live based on the actions of people. And it's not what people do to me. And we have that same thing that we go, I want that apology. Guys, I have been there where I have prayed and prayed and go, God, if they would just say one word so that I could get my name back. If they would say one thing that they lied or one thing in that fight, that internal struggle of going, just tell me you are sorry. You don't even have to say it to anybody else. Just say it to me. And there's been that struggle, that fight. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. But when I chose to release it anyway, I can honestly say when Joseph is standing in front of his brothers and he goes, 
You meant evil against me, but God used it for good. And he handed all of those areas over to God and allowed God to do something through it. It was nothing. Joseph could have never got himself to that palace, I promise you. But because he gave that to God, and even though the heartache, the wounds, the things that got him there, our forgiveness is way more powerful than any bit of unforgiveness or control we think we're holding. And we see that in the life of Joseph. When I paraphrase the story of Absalom, when I talk about these deep wounds and this hurt, um, another son of David, so it would be Absalom's brother, but not his direct brother, raped Absalom's sister. And he is furious about this. And it says for two years, he molded this over. For two years, he's letting this just in his mind. In his mind, there's no forgiveness. And he's letting this go. And the, he's just angry. And he ends up killing the brother. Well, then he's furious at David for doing nothing about it. So now my, my unforgiveness for this brother is now going to other people that aren't doing things about it, that aren't siding with me. And so now my unforgiveness is growing and he has unforgiveness towards David. And for three years, he's in hiding. And then David brings him back to the kingdom. They do not talk for two years after they bring him back. So this is now seven years later, seven years after this happens. And because of his unforgiveness, he's going around to people, pulling them to himself away from David so that he can get his slight vengeance, his slight revenge, that I'm just going to undercut this person that I'm unforgiving toward. I'm going to let you know what he's not doing for you so that I could be the one to do it towards you. And it's this revenge that he has. And Absalom is actually in pursuit of David, again, because of the unforgiveness. Guys, when there's unforgiveness, it will take our mind places where we are after these people. And he's after these people, and he actually ends up hanging himself. Um, his hair hangs himself, and then he got killed. But basically, the, the moral of the story is that this constant twist of unforgiveness, 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 this mulling over, this offense, this bitterness, it led him to his own demise. And he was supposed to be an amazing leader. He was an amazing leader. But that little bit of bitterness, that little bit led to his own death, led to his own demise. As unforgiveness is so dangerous, I cannot express this enough, but it will lead to our own demise. It's like drinking poison and assuming that the person next to you that you're upset about is the one suffering from it. If you're drinking the poison, you're the one dying, not them. But we think that this unforgiveness that we're holding in is going to make them suffer. It's not. They're fine. They're living life. And that hurts worse when we haven't forgiven. So there's that unforgiveness that we have to deal with. A question to ponder. Would I want God to forgive me the way I forgive others? Would I want God to forgive me the way I forgive others? And this is where we want to change that. This is where I truly want to take account and go, no, I, I, I want to see the freedom that God promises me. I want to see answers to prayer. I want to see God switch these situations to good that the enemy is trying to still. We can't. We don't have control over what happened to us. But we do have control in how we respond to it. We do have control what we allow God to do in us because of that circumstance. We do have that control. And no one here has been put on earth by accident and God was like, oh, I didn't actually know that was going to happen to you. He didn't cause it. 
God is not the bad guy. We live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen, and I guarantee us, every one of us in this room is going to be hurt again. We live in that world. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain, and people are human. Just like I'm probably going to mess up again because all have sinned and fallen short, I mess up every day because I'm going to mess up again. People are going to mess up again, and one of those mess-ups might hurt me. And when Peter says, up to seven times, up to seven times, and Jesus said up to 70 times seven, basically he's saying, no, unlimited. You just keep forgiving. You just keep forgiving. Now I want to, as we're wrapping this up, I want to uh, I wanna look at one more scripture and then we're going to jump into our last point. Let's look at Luke 740. And this story is very interesting to me when we talk about the level playing field because part of being able to release forgiveness is being able to receive forgiveness for ourselves and truly believe that we can forgive ourselves, but truly believe that God has forgiven us. And to the level that we believe that God has forgiven us is the level that we'll be able to forgive the people around us. And here's the story with that. We're going to start in verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of him will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves, or the same loves little. When we started, I talked about the level playing field that every single one of us required the exact same sacrifice from Jesus to be able to have forgiveness of sins. How much of that have we acknowledged? How much of that have we acknowledged? Because every one of us has the same access to the same level of forgiveness. And sometimes when we think we're doing all right, we don't acknowledge how much we've really been forgiven of. And it says that you'll love in the same, or you'll forgive, because we've seen that that word love covers a multitude of sins, which means that we forgive through love. But we'll forgive to the same extent that we acknowledge the love, that we acknowledge what we've been forgiven of. And when we think somewhere that we've arrived, we'll only give forgiveness and we'll only give love to that same extent. So on a level playing field, every one of us in this room has the same access to the same level of forgiveness. It's just how much we want. How deep do we want to go with God and go, God, show me. God, show me how much I needed this. Reveal to me how much I needed this. Reveal how much forgiveness that it requires for me to live every single day. Because sometimes I might overlook that because I'm too busy judging everybody around me. I may overlook that because I'm sick of dealing with this and this and this and the recurring cycle but I forget to acknowledge just how much of you that I needed. And maybe you're sick of dealing with my recurring cycle that I'm sick of dealing with the people around me, right? And sometimes when we acknowledge just how much of God we need, it changes our level of grace and mercy that we give to the world around us and we give to the people around us and we're able to forgive at an entirely new level. So when we talk about forgiveness, I know that there's always these hookups and these hangups on the inside of us going, 
except for if I forgive, and we're going to hit those, this is what forgiveness is not, okay? When I say that I'm forgiving, I am not forgetting what happens. Okay, there's this thing that says forgive and forget. Uh, Not a thing. It's actually not biblical. God says that he wipes our sins away. It tells us to forgive, but it doesn't say that we are to forgive and forget. We, we can't forget those things, right? And so you're like, I literally can't forgive and forget. But here's what that means. It changes our perspective about what happens. So now I forgive. It doesn't mean that I forgot. It, it means I have forgiven you. And now that moment isn't a pinpoint of where my life was ruined. It was a pinpoint of where God turned it around and is using it for his good. And so now I guarantee you, Joseph was like, that pit moment didn't ruin my life. That pit moment was responsible for putting me in the palace. When we look back on the divorce, when we look back on the hurt, when we look back on the abuse, when we look back at all of these things that have come in our lives, these deep wounds, these deep hurts, it's now I'm looking back and going, no, that was the thing that set me up. That wasn't the thing that ruined my life. So I did not forget that moment and I'm never gonna forget that moment. It is journaled and it is staying in my journal because I promise you, you guys, whenever we allow forgiveness, I, it's this love-hate relationship with those moments that I hate they're a part of my story. I hate that that's how I got here today. But I love them so much because those moments, I promise you, there's times that I go, I just wanna go back. I sound crazy. No, I don't wanna go back. I do wanna go back because those were the most powerful moments that I've had with my God in my life. And they can be the same for us. So now we take and you go, you meant evil against me, but you watch what my God can do with this. And he turns it around. So it's not forgiving and forgetting, it's forgetting and redefining. And we allow God to do that when we allow forgiveness to take place. This does not give them control, it releases the control that they have on you. Forgiveness does not release them from consequence. Because we think if I let go, they'll never be held accountable for what they did. God sees. God sees. I need you. We don't have time. If, like, do it before you leave. Do not forget. Read all of Psalm 37. All of Psalm 37 is my favorite chapter. Anything that has to do with pain, anything that has to do with hurt, Psalm 37 is my go-to. I read it consistently because here's two things. There's two things very specifically that God says are mine in the Bible. The tithe is mine. The other thing that he says is vengeance. Vengeance is mine. Here's the other thing about vengeance. Sometimes we think that we need to avenge ourselves. It's not our job to carry that. That's God's job. But we see that the martyrs in heaven, it says that they cry out to God, go and avenge us. Okay, they're in heaven. There's no sin up there. So being avenged is not a sin. It's just who's doing it. If I'm trying to avenge myself, it's going to be real bad. If I let God avenge me, it's going to work out just how it's supposed to. I'm going to let God take care of it, and I'm going to move on. And that's what forgiveness is, is. It's not freeing them from their consequence. It's handing over to God and saying, God, it's all you. You handle this. When we looked at the story just now of the servants, notice that the servant didn't go take out the other servant after he didn't give his servant the, the, the debt paid and he put him in prison. It says that they went to God. They went to the king, and the king dealt with the servant. Take it to God. Let God deal with the servant. It's not your job. Stay in your lane. Yeah, it hurt, but I'm going to take it to God. And I'm going to let God deal with this situation. In Psalm 37, just a couple of those that I want to read. 
First one, it says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Huh. Don't fret. Don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. And one of my favorites, it says, give me one second to find it. Ah, verse 12. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. The Lord laughs at him because he sees his day is coming. Guys, you have a God that sees everything and he will avenge on your behalf. So it does not release them from their consequence. Read Psalm 37. Vengeance is not yours, it's God's. They're not going to get away with it. And it doesn't always mean reconciliation. Sometimes here's what we think. In order for me to give, forgive, I have to trust them to the same level that I trusted them when they hurt me. Okay. God did not create you to be a, ta a crash dummy tester person. You're more than that. Okay, you were not created to go back in the same situation to get hurt again and come back. Forgive and go back to the same situation and get hurt again and come back. No. Here's the thing, though. When we forgive, God's going to give a way through it. And when I say that we forgive by faith... Then we ask God what the next step of obedience is, okay? Because there's two sides of that, that there may not be reconciliation because somebody may have left and there's no way they're coming back and there's no way that that conversation is ever even going to happen. That could be a situation. It could be an extreme situation of abuse. It could be those situations, okay? But then we also have to balance the line of this of going, okay, I forgive, so I'm going to look past what I see because I don't live by what I see. I live by what I can't see. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to trust God in this situation. I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. And I'm going to allow God to work on my behalf. Because this could be something that maybe it's a current marriage. Maybe it's a current situation with a boss, a, a current situation with a coworker, And you go, cool, don't have to go back. Nope, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying here, when I say that there may not be reconciliation, as much as it depends on you, keep peace. As much as it depends on you, keep peace. You do your part. Your job is to forgive. Your job is to forgive. But then you allow God to work in that current circumstance that you're in. And you ask him what the next steps are. So then I can say, I trust God, and because I forgive my spouse, I know this is where you go around the corner, around the corner, around the corner. There's hurtful words flying. It's the same situations. I choose to forgive, and I choose to release that to God. Then you let God work in their life. They're out of your control, and you can be who you're supposed to be. Do we see that? I can now love beyond what's happening right here in front of me. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a I can love you in spite of. Because of what Jesus did for me, I can love you right now. Because of what Jesus did for me, I can honor you right now. Because of what Jesus did for me, because we see in the life of Joseph, when his brothers came back, he fed them, he gave them a house, he made sure they were taken care of forever. That's true forgiveness. So when I say that there may not always be reconciliation, I'm saying don't chase it down if it's not an option. If it's an abusive situation, if they are long gone and there's no way that that... You don't got to go chase them down to make sure you've forgiven. God's got that. If it's a current situation that you're facing where you see that person repetitively, that's a situation where you give it to God and you let God do his part, but you stay put. 
until God says different. Does that make sense? Take it to God. Don't avenge yourself. All right. How do we forgive? Write down Psalm 37 or 35, 12 through 14. David says, these people are doing this. These people are coming at me. These people are doing this. But then the next word he says, but as for me, but as for me, I'm going to close them. But as for me, I'm going to do this. So I need you to think about that person you've been thinking about this whole time, that situation, whatever it is, you have a choice. You have a choice as we leave right now, as we're closing, but as for you, what are you going to do? Are we going to live in unforgiveness, a life that is lived in response to what everybody has done to me? Or I'm going to choose to live my life in response to what Jesus did for me. But as for me, I'm going to allow the actions of others to continue to control my life. Or I'm going to hand that over to Jesus. Because we can love the unlovable when we hand it to Jesus. We can love, you, you can't imagine. I have a, I have a friend that, that we've been talking and there's just been stuff going on in, in their home. And she said, I don't respond in peace normally. She said, <laughs> we like, we're going to fight it out and get it taken care of. And she said, I have given this to God. And she said, Shelby, I have a peace in my home. And some of the stuff going on in their home, I'm like, uh, like, it's a good thing it's you. Like, I'd be in prison. It's not okay. Because <laughs> I'm still working on this forgiveness thing, right? Okay. But she's, she's working through this, and she said, I have a peace that I don't even know where it came from. I can respond in honor. I can respond in joy. I can respond in love. And she said, it's beyond me because that's not me. And it's not her because I know her. Like, but she's been able to say this because she gave it to God. The same is true for us. We have access to be able to love the way we didn't even think was possible. To forgive what we thought we would never forgive and be able to walk out that healing process. So if you'll stand with me.